Welcome into the 11 cast presented store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo. He is Johnny. Uh, oh, we got some, some thrones to talk about, kids, but we'll save that. <laughs> we will save that to the end on the penultimate episode of the of the phenomenal, otherwise phenomenal series, Game of Thrones. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we'll get to your Ask Us Any Things as well. It is the off season, and so it is potpourri time as we look for and, and try to find the stories that kind of impact us a little bit. And the one thing that I thought was most interesting to me over the last week or so was the revelation that Ohio State football is going to sell season tickets to the public and that they are going to sell uh, smaller three-game season ticket packages. This is commonplace in every other sport, professional sport. It's commonplace in most of college as well. Mm-hmm. Ohio State has always been impervious to this. Ohio, the idea at Ohio State was, if you're ever lucky enough to get season tickets, that you never give them up. And that it is a privilege um, and a, and and something to not be taken lightly. And I think for many it still is, and it's still one of the toughest tickets that can be. But this was a bit shocking to me that that this happened. And I wonder if the if the pricing has just gotten so out of whack that people don't want to scratch that check anymore to go to a full season of games. That the financial commitment. And the time commitment is so great, and and the technology is so good with the at home at home viewing experience that people just don't want to do it anymore. It w- I was pretty stunned to decide to I didn't know that this day would come to Ohio State this quickly. Well, I you know I think it's a smart move because it has come to Ohio State. You know what I mean? Like this is to me this is something that was pretty inevitable, and and the writing has been on the wall in my opinion for at least a couple of seasons. But yeah, uh, this is you know, you've got to figure out ways to get people in the seats. And I know that's a crazy thing for a lot of Ohio state fans to kind of accept like, Oh, well, this is Ohio state. You get 150,000 people every game. Burr, burr, burr. Yep. Well, if you're playing FAU, probably yeah. not anymore. <laughs> so yep. you gotta, they gotta be creative. They gotta, they gotta understand how they're going to do it. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think the packages are a little, a little wonky. We can get into that in a second, but um, I just, you know, I think this is not exactly the right move if they want to think about long-term viability and, and making, and by viability, I mean, obviously they're going to have people in the stadium, but if you want to sell out every game, you're going to have to do more than this. You're, it's great to have ticket options. I think that's awesome. I commend them for for putting that out there, but that's not the long-term solution you're looking for. If you're a high state, if they think this is going to fix a declining attendance issue, which I think is going to be, you know, kind of speeding up the next few seasons, uh, that that ain't gonna do it. So I agree with you. I think it's a band aid on a hemorrhage. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's a, the other thing to remember is you're coming off of Urban, right? Like, you know, all he does, all we do is win. So like, there will be a a a correction, a course correction back to normal. And normal is not going to be eleven and one every year. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not. I mean, um, let me ask you this: if you're if yeah. you're the average everyday fan, are you paying three hundred twenty-seven dollars? My like, this is not including tax to see Miami, Maryland, and Wisconsin. Oh God, no, yeah. no, I wouldn't pay fifty dollars to go to those. That's what games. I'm saying. I mean, Wisconsin would be pay, a, pay a that decent game, but yeah, I'm not no, paying three hundred twenty-seven dollars for those three games. I'm not paying two hundred ninety-seven dollars to see Cincinnati, FAU, and Sparty. Like that's not. No that's not viable for most people. And I don't know no. who they think are going to be like, again, I understand giving people options and, and sometimes it's about dates and what you're able to get into, but yeah, man, I just, I just don't think that's, that's the way to go. If you're trying to make sure that you bolster 
lagging ticket sales. I just don't think that's the solution. It's multiple things. It's, I mean, it, when, when Michigan's on the schedule, the Michigan game alone, uh, it's, that's an event. The Michigan game is a sacred event. Sure. And so when it's on the schedule, that's a little different. You'll pay $500 maybe to go to just the Michigan game. But the problem, there, there's several problems here. Uh, number one, the expansion of the Big Ten has landed you Rutgers and Maryland in your game. In your, you're going to play one of them every day, every year at home, either Rutgers or Maryland. And there's right. no, there's no tie to those schools. There's no tie. So instead of playing Iowa or Minnesota or somebody else you've played a lot, you're playing two random slappies, right? <laughs> so there's that. The right. other thing about it is, is the because you have to have the eight home dates is the idea. You've got to play three cupcakes or two cupcakes and one big out of conference. Well, this year we don't really play a big out of conference. I guess it's Cincinnati. That's a tough sell. That's a tough yeah, sell. The that's schedule not, this year is not good. That's not Texas. I'm sorry. It's not Texas. That's not Florida. <laughs> that's not anything like that. I mean, it's Cincinnati, so it's fine, but it's not exciting. Um, the home schedule is brutal this year. Um, and I wonder if they have to go to the way – I wonder if college football in general, if it's important, needs to go the way that Georgia is attempting to go, which is to play multiple BCS Power 5 schools out of conference every year and do home and homes with them. and play. They wanted. I read this last week. They want to play two and three of them in addition to their – playing Georgia Tech in the SEC slate, that they want to play the best teams that there are. And it's all designed to the playoffs, so you have a stronger strength of schedule and you get a bigger margin for error, which has sure. benefited them. So I wonder if, if the scheduling philosophy needs to change. If, if there, there's no, We have been playing that Miami-Ohio-FAMU-Florida-Atlantic game for 20 years. Yeah. It's a brutal game. It's never a good it, – there's no point in it. Um and and forever it was like, well, this is your chance to get into the shoe. Well, even those have gotten expensive now. You know, it's not like you're getting in there for 48 bucks right. to watch these clown shows. You know, it's an expensive day. You hit on something else. And that was how else, you know, we said Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. So what else can you do? What are the <laughs> things that are lacking? And I think that there will be there will come a time forever in college football. It was. Um, well, we, we have the largest attendance. It was all about that was how we measured, you know, our collective Johnson was how big our attendance was <laughs> at, at every game. And I wonder if it if it course corrects and goes the other way, if instead of trying to put one hundred and four thousand people in there, you give them a phenomenal experience. You give them seat backs. You give them no lines at the bathroom. You give them you you renovate a facility so that it's state of the art so that you have a comfortable chair so right. that you don't so that your chair isn't you know 8 inches wide right and everybody's <laughs> slammed in there like that's probably where it needs to go it's funny you say that cuz i filled in one time for the uh, the 11 warriors uh, report on on 97.1 as like co-host when jason was out and yeah. i think colin colin was the uh, the producer for that show i believe and he was probably, telling yeah. me before it started that like you know, because I came on Tim Hall's show one time. Mm -hmm. I was a, just, you know, a guest for you know, 10, 15 minutes. And I was talking about this very topic. And I was talking about how oh, I stadium needs to change, needs to renovate. You're going to deal with a lot of these issues. And he was telling me people still call in to say, like, how dumb I was for that take. And I'm like, this, this is the reality of the sport. Like, and here's the other thing that I find. That it was a dumb take that it needs to be renovated. Yeah, they were saying, no, Ohio Stadium's great. You know, don't worry no. about it. It's the, still the shoe everybody wants to go. And I'm like, man, I mean, you can go out and buy a 60-inch television for $400 at Target. 
that's going to be enough for some people, right? You're not going to pay the equivalent to go see Michigan State, Cincinnati, and Miami, right? In person, if you can buy that nice TV and watch it in huge, big flat screen right in front of you. I just, it, it, it is something that needs to change. Now, I will say, I do think it's interesting that this is kind of a uniquely, I don't want to say uniquely Ohio State attitude, but you look at like the Alabamas and even the LSUs of the world, they don't get freaked out when they only have like two thirds capacity or two thirds capacity, you know, in terms of fans for a crappy early season game. That's normal for them. They're fine for that. But for us, that's kind of like a, a crisis. Like, oh, we got to have this thing full every time. Um, I just think you got to have a better fan experience. Give people seat backs, tear out. The, I mean, tear out the bleachers, put in real seats. I don't care if it decreases the capacity by 10 or 15,000. Yeah. That's fine. Because that'll mean people will actually want to sit there and watch what's going on. And that's that's what you need to have. You have to create look, the demand again. Yeah. And look, Ohio Stadium is a it's a great historical site. I'm not saying like tear the whole thing down necessarily, but I am saying that like if you want people to really fill that thing up, it's gotta be a better fan experience than you got in literally the 1920s. So yeah, you I mean, look, it, right. And here's the other thing. Look at the schedules, the out-of-conference schedules for the next couple of seasons. Obviously, in 2019, you get FAU, you get Cincinnati, Miami, Ohio. 2020 is Bowling Green at Oregon, so you don't get any benefit from that. And then Buffalo, right? Like, who's who's lining up for that? That's not – look, 2021 is Oregon. That's cool. Maybe. They may be terrible. Uh, and then Tulsa and Akron, right? Like, yeah, it's not until 2022 are... until you get Notre Dame. And that's – that is a long time. And yeah. In, in the sports world, right, to see declining revenues because of, of poor ticket sales, I just think you got to do something more drastic than giving people better ticket options. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I'm sure that they, I, I assume that they see the writing on the wall on this thing. Yeah. It's a tricky thing with that stadium because of how much we revere it. Right. Um, but at the same time, it, it is a con, it's been adjusted before. Right. It's not like it's Absolutely. exactly the same as it was when Chick Hardley built the damn place. Right. So, right. I mean, they're, there is it has been adapted before it can it will be adapted again and it's i think it's got to be i think the experience has got to be better um it shouldn't be that hard to get into the place you know right it shouldn't be you should be there should be you know you should be able to get in there easier you should be able to uh not have to stay in a line to the bathroom for two hours you should be able to get <laughs> the bathroom situations atrocious it's a joke it's terrible so they, they you know they've got to get those things sorted out and and maybe this is the first um in what i think will be a long list of things that will have to get done but it was well just last one thing I want to last thing I want to say about this: the 100th anniversary of Ohio Stadium will be in 2022. I think they ride it out till then, and then I think as soon as they hit that and have a big old honking celebration, they're like, "All right, what do we do next?" And I think they start making plans for either drastically remodeling Ohio Stadium or coming up with something different. I think 2022 is going to be the year, or at least after that, 2023, I guess, when they really start thinking about next steps. Yeah, can you imagine if it if if we had if if we had a state of the art horseshoe no man that would be sick it would be incredible and they have the resources to do it yeah yeah they could do it and they might frankly as 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 cool as it sounds it might be a necessity uh in order to keep people going i mean the nfl everybody's struggling with this um so you've got to do everything you can to to stay on the cutting edge of it and and that stadium is chief among the issues um a couple of the things on the college football front we mentioned the ohio state michigan game i saw fox will have it again this year that has been confirmed um, so we will be uh, we will be getting Gus uh, one more time for Ohio State and Michigan as Fox has become the home forever. You know, ABC forever 
was the home of that game. And Keith Jackson forever, which was just as good as it gets. Musburger had it a few times. Um, Herb Street and Fowler more recently. And now uh, it will be on Fox yet again as as that deal is the way that it is. I think there is a tremendous – I think the Big Ten, while they're printing money, I think – they, they, it's a tremendous loss being on Fox versus ESPN and slash ABC um, just because of promotional nature of, of being on ESPN sets the table for yeah. college football. They set the table for the dialogue, for the, for everything. And to have your game not be on it and your championship game, not be on it is I think it's tough to not be on there because they will. It's now ESPN has a pretty good job with game day where for the most part, they go to the best game. You know, they got pretty right. good integrity to that. They right. are the most important game. Um, so they do a pretty good job with that. But I still think you're better served. I mean, they, you, the Fox money is incredible and it's great. Um, but I do think you've paid a little price from a narrative standpoint by being on Fox versus, a, versus ABC, ESPN, for all your big games. I'm curious about how Fox is – I really am actually excited uh, how Fox is going to handle their college football coverage this season because it, it seems like they're doing a lot – to try to make their own kind of brand, which I, you know, again, I don't think it's going to be really successful. I mean, ESPN's just got a stranglehold on that thing. But what do you um, think they're trying to? What from what they've done? What do you think they're trying to do from a brand standpoint? So, so it's Urban, we, Reggie Bush, and Liner. That it's not just that they. So they've talked about basically putting all their marquee games at noon, essentially, right? Like they're really going to try to get in there and say, all right, well, let's get these nooners done. So we're not going to compete with the later day, you know, night ABC, ESPN stuff because there's not. I mean, they're. I think they've kind of, you know basically said that they conceded that that's not their thing. So they're going to try to grab viewers early at that noon spot. And okay. I think that's smart. I, I think that's a, a good, yeah, a good, a good play. Yeah. Um, you just got to come, you got to come up with something that's going to be able to lead people into it because here's, here's what I would say. This is smart on Fox news or Fox news on Fox sports's part. Because... Someone needs to capture that <laughs> so that your voice can be heard saying that. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be on the internet. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> That's unfortunate. That's 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 not <laughs> me for a while. It really uh, will. <laughs> uh, so this is smart on Fox Sports part because what they can do is say, all right, well, we can't necessarily win the entire day, but what if we get if we start out at noon kicking people like right, you know, right in the face and say, This is this is the amazing game that you really want to see, and we'll get these you know teams to play a little bit early. If they can establish some kind of lead-in that people might care about doesn't have to compete with game day necessarily, but at least something semi-entertaining. Then I think you can kind of set the table for the rest of the day. And that might be Fox uh, sports way to kind of get into, say the pause there and make it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be their way, their way to actually kind of weasel in here. So I think that's a good play on their part. I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that. I mean, there's some thought to that. There's some, there's some trying to be different. There seems to be some strategy behind it. So that could, that could be solid. And and I'm all for, I love a noon start. I mean, I just love a noon start. So the more of those, the better I'm, uh, I'm all, I like the noon or the eight. I don't like the in-between. The three 30 always bugs me. Um, but I love the noon and I love the eight and I love predominantly noons, um, as the way to go on that thing. Um, for example, like I I like the Penn state game at eight. I think that's a nice, Oh yeah. It's a lot. Absolutely. I like that game at eight, um, but I don't need I don't need Cincinnati at eight. I don't need FAU at eight. You know, I like right. I like one game or two games a year at eight and everything else at noon, I think would be ideal uh, for us. A couple of the things in the um, in the football. One other thing to mention, in the football thing. I just saw this today. This year, the national championship game, 
The semifinal will be played December 28th, and the championship game will not be played until January 13th. (laughs) 15 days between games. And the reason that I was that I read uh, it was on the internet, so I believe 47% of it was that because there was already a major convention booked in New Orleans on the 6th. And I thought, how happy I look this up. I mean, because I want to know what the hell, what the hell can preempt that? What what convention? How can they not be planning for it? I I just think that's ridiculous. I think that you gotta. I don't know. It's not. It's not the Super Bowl. Like it's not. You got to have some inertia there, and you're you're basically at that point of the year fighting for the NFL, right? Fighting with the NFL uh, for viewership in some ways. I just you gotta. You can't do that. I think that's insane. Um. Yeah, it I always bugged me too, like the Monday night thing, like all of our games are uh, oh, yeah. Saturdays, you know, and then we try to do a Monday for some reason. Like, why can't you just play Saturday instead? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. I always yeah. hated I always hated the, uh, you know, the fact that they before the the uh, uh, before the, uh, the 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 playoffs and everything like that. I mean, with the with the, you know, the. Jeez, I'm losing track. I'm losing my mind here trying to comprehend all these conferences going on in New right. Orleans in January of 2020. The BCS, when you had this ridiculous wait sometimes before before the you know the, the conference championship games, you would play your last game in late November and then you wouldn't play sometimes until early right. January. Like that that blew my mind that that was even considered possibly acceptable. Like you've got to have some inertia. It's crazy that you just sit around for weeks and do nothing. Like they say they're practicing and stuff, but it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. I think that's, that's silly. Yeah. It's too long. It's too damn long. I can't find anything that says what the event would be. There's a jazz, uh, jazz <laughs> education conference jazz is important for Norm. Like, like January 8th through the 11th, but that's not all the right. 6th. Everybody'd be out of town by that point. I got um, Gulf Coast Faith Formation Conference. Oh, that potentially could be a monster. Maybe. I don't know. Well, but wouldn't it be very easy to just we, when setting this up to say do you have anything this day new orleans yes we do we have the faith whatever conference or the jazz concert okay well then let's go to tampa this year next year we'll go to new orleans in 2021 yeah, exactly problem right. solved crazy um one of the all right let's switch gears talk a little hoops john beeline to the Cavs. <laughs> i did not see that out of nowhere, a little bit it did um it's a very mm-hmm um dan gilbert move to admire somebody who he has seen up close he lives in detroit and is a michigan state guy and has admired beeline forever and it's very on brand of of dan to try to you know be smarter than everybody else and to be fair he has been i mean he's self-made man so um he has been smarter than everybody else but um i think beeline is a hell of a coach He's 66, making a little over three million a year. He got a five-year deal with the Cavs. My guess is he probably doubled his income, and this was his last shot at the NBA. I get it. Um, it's a, it's it puts Michigan basketball in an interesting spot at this late juncture, trying to hire a coach for next season. Oh yeah, um, that's crazy. You know, this is kind of like what happened with Thad. Like it was late in the game when we when you and then we're lucky you get Holtman and it's been a home run to this point. But um, trying to replace Beeline on this short a notice will be a challenge. Yeah, I first of all, I think that's actually a really smart move by Dan Gilbert. I mean, I think Beeline's a hell of a coach. He and, is. Yeah. I mean, what I mean, this isn't where you got to have a guy come in and, and work with LeBron and stuff. I mean, this is you're pretty this much teaching at this point. Yeah, so, he's so, going to coach young kids. 
That's right. And and he's this is it's in his wheelhouse. I, I think he's an excellent coach. I think he's a really, you know, a good dude by all accounts, really smart guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really smart hire. I, I Michigan is in a complete lurch. And I think it's we've been you know, I really don't go to MGO blog very often uh, because it's pretty much just on we central. Like you're just kind of dealing with, you know, people very depressed for very large <laughs> portions of the year. And, right. and again, while I revel in that, you know, to an extent, it really does get oppressive at a certain point. Um, but they, there were posts saying basically like, you know, I kind of wish this had been Harbaugh going to the professional wow. leagues instead of Beeline. It's unreal. Which, which is, I would, I would agree with that sentiment if I were a Michigan fan. I, I think yeah. to this point, like who's had more success? Who's given you more joy in, in watching sports? I think John Beeline has been very consistent in that for uh for michigan basketball so uh yeah man it's they're they're in a a difficult situation this could actually help out both obviously michigan state but and ohio state in sure. terms of some basketball recruits so yeah i'm i'm happy about it for what it does for ohio state i'm happy about it for john beeline and it's it's funny to me because it's michigan so yeah it's pretty out. good yeah i mean it's it makes it easier on us I mean, yes. you know, it's one less great coach you have to coach against. I mean, they're not going right. to hire anybody. They may hire somebody who's a better recruiter than Beeline, but they're not going to hire anybody who's a better coach. No, no. You Beeline know? was basically doing the same thing that we we praise the hell out of Tom Izzo for doing for the past like 10 or 12 years, right? Which is, yeah. you know, maybe you know, don't have the best recruiting class in the entire country, but coach guys up, get them to play together, get them to buy into your system and then have really great success in March. And I mean, the guy has two final fours under his belt. Uh, we didn't get the championship, but neither Thad Mata, and we love Thad Mata. Um, and I think it was what, like, you won four Big Ten championships in 12 years. Just the postseason stuff with Michigan has been really, really great. They haven't always been, like, in terms of win totals, super high up there, but honestly, that doesn't really matter compared to the kind of hardware that you're getting in March. So, yeah, they just make that for Michigan. That's right. Yeah, they make great runs. They always seem to be playing their best at, in March. So it's been. Yeah. A- it's been a tremendous run for him. Uh, changed the landscape of the Big Ten, to say the least. Uh, all right, time for some Ask Us Anythings this week, my friend. What do you have for us? All right, so if you guys want to ask us anything, you can do so by sending us amazing, terrific questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Uh, let's start with our good friend Suncard. Suncard says, let's say the football gods go completely crazy and the game is to be played at a neutral site. What would the best venue be? Um, what's the, um, what's the Toledo? Wouldn't that be it? <laughs> was that the glass bowl? Is that what that is? is the or glass the bowl in Toledo? Yeah. Rubber bowl. That might be Akron. Yeah. I mean, you could do it in Cleveland at Cleveland Brown stadium, but that's pretty, that's kind of a nondescript stadium. Um, yeah. I mean, I was somewhere in the middle, I would think. Yeah, and really the only bowl. options are, are Cleveland and Toledo. I think it's a glass bowl. I think that's where you have to hold yeah. it because historically that would go with the, you know, the, the Toledo war, right. That, that right. Michigan and Ohio fought over that really inconsequential stretch of land. Right. Really. Um, you could take it if you wanted it, Michigan, you can have it. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Toledo people, but, the, <laughs> well, but yeah, like a capacity of yeah. about, I'm looking 50? online here about 35,000 ish. Yeah. We could sell tickets to that. <laughs> Put up some stands in the, yeah. you know, on the end zones. I think you're that's good. Really, that's the only place you could do it. Is there? There's yeah. No place else. It would be weird. It would be really weird to do it at a neutral site. I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, 
I wouldn't honestly like a game like that. You, I, I honestly, if you're going to go that crazy, if, if something that insane actually did happen, I would definitely want to downsize instead of upsizing to the NFL because if you're going to be that ridiculous and crazy, just do it. You know, like I said, do it at high school in Toledo or something. I don't care. Do right. it. Do yeah. it at the high school that's closest to the border of both states and just there see what go. happens. I think that. Would I be think the cool. only if you were trying to do a yearly rivalry with somebody, the one you could do that with would be Notre Dame, and you could play at Indy. Right. Like you could play Notre Dame every year at Indy. The problem is, is you would lose having the two schools, you know, have each other in their home stadiums. But like if you wanted to do like a cocktail party or a, you know, Texas, Oklahoma game, you could do it in Indy and you could sell half the seats to both fan bases. Everybody likes going to Indy. I mean, it would have that same type of feel. Yeah. But with Michigan, Ohio State, it'd be hard to find something that I think, you know, both no, sides nothing. would be amenable with. I don't think that would work out. Uh, next one here. This is from uh, another one of our good friends, Alvin. Alvin wants to know, and this is, I will emphasize this was asked on, on May, on May 6th. So a week ago, uh, is Columbus a hockey town? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's complicated. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's a, there are, there is a, a fact, this is the thing that you have to remember. And it, 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 I know that like we get sensitive to it, but like we've only really had hockey for 20 years right. in the city. So I know that there were the Columbus chill, but that's, that wasn't, that's not this. That's not the NHL. I mean, when the, when the blue jackets got to Columbus, it's my, if my memory serves and we've done these stories a hundred times as a channel 10, there was one sheet of ice in Columbus to, for right. kids to skate on. Right. So this is, we've had to, we were given a sport that we had no real history or connection to and said, nurture this and grow this. And we've done it. We've done that. Um, are we Boston? No, no, we're not. We haven't been around for 60 years. We're not Toronto. We're not Montreal. We're not Minnesota where they've been playing hockey for a hundred, wherever he plays hockey. That's not what, that's not what we are, but we're growing. And in 20 years, we've done a lot. There are kids who grow up in central Ohio uh, who play in the NHL and are drafted. And we saw one last week for Boston. Right, the Corelli kid. So, so yep. these, this, it's it's happening. Is it a hockey town? No, we're in Ohio. It's a football town. But I would say the same thing. Like when people say, "Is Cleveland a basketball town?" When LeBron won, well, no, but it was a LeBron town for a moment. But it's yep. always a football town. Football runs the show. But yeah, but, but there's enough room to have something else you love. And hockey has grown a lot in 20 years. And there's a diehard segment who loves it, breathes it, lives it. And then there's people who it became the cool thing to do in the spring. And that's it. I mean, is, is Boston a hockey town? Like, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of you um, know, hockey, you know, right. the, there's a lot it's of youth crazy. hockey. It's a significant yeah. like, cultural thing, but great youth hockey, great college hockey. Yeah. I mean, right. it's hockey's in the blood. Yeah. Right. But what I would say is, are the Boston Celtics a bigger cultural impact than the Bruins? Cause I would sure. say yes. And certainly right. the Red Sox and the, I mean, I think they, this, I don't know how it all works there, but I mean, uh, the Bruins are a big deal, but they, you know, they, the Red Sox are probably the biggest deal in Boston. Right. The Patriots maybe have even passed that. So I don't That's know. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, again, the Bruins have a huge, you know, cultural support in, in the, in the Northeast. And that that's obviously like a really, really big, significant thing, especially in new sports, but it's not the top dog. Like it competes with the Red Sox and the Celtics and, and, you know, the Patriots and all that. And that's that, I think if you ask people, you know, which they follow more in general, they're going to, they're going to pick the Bruins like, you know, third or fourth. So what I'm saying, I guess, is that, yeah, Ohio state 
is going to kind of overshadow everything else in Columbus. But Columbus can still be a hockey town when hockey is the biggest thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they can, people can switch. They don't have to be hockey fans 24-7-365 for Columbus yeah. to be a hockey town. Um, and I think you, you saw that with the playoff. I mean, people were just going nuts. It was a huge yeah. thing. And, you know, there was obviously tons of support and nationwide. And it was just, sure. you know. So, I, you know, I don't think it has to be the main the main game in town to be, you know, significant and have an impact. I just think that people have to really give a crap. And, and like you said, I, you know, that's it started to become more relevant with kids. Um, it's, it's you know, there's more leagues that are popping up. I think that's just part and parcel of, of what you need to do to balance it. And then you yeah. can talk about like the crew and stuff and soccer, how that fits in. Like it's it's a whole like ecosystem of sports. And I just think it's interesting how they all kind of fit together. Yeah. Um, so our last one here, this is from Twitter. This is from James. Uh, he asks, could a historically football-oriented school like, say, Texas Tech invest their way into becoming a basketball first school? There is no other basketball school in Texas, and they just paid Beard. How many years of winning are needed? I think they just did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they played for the national championship. Yeah, they played for the national championship. Um that is, they are always going to have a tough time because of their location. They are way out West in Texas. Um, and they are not going to ever, like if there was a great coach at the university of Texas, and I really thought Shaka smart would be that you're never going to lose recruits, uh, to tech, to Texas tech that were otherwise interested in Texas. You just weren't. Right. Um, so can it be a, can they be a basketball power? No, but I think that they can be, you know, like a team that makes a run every once in a while. And, and, and that, that's definitely well within reach. And, and I think that he will build a very solid program there. I think the real interesting question is, is more to the point of this. If a school decides we are going to be great at this and watch us throw money behind it and see what happens. And the best example I can think of that is Penn State with Kale Sanderson. Right. who had really no – the state of Pennsylvania has great high school wrestling. I think it's number one in the country for high school wrestling. Um, but but I could be way wrong on that, but I believe that to be true as I say it. Um, but they've never been good at, at Penn State. Well, Penn State said, well, we're going to put a bunch of money into facilities. And we're going to go hire the best coach in the country, and now they're the best wrestling program by 100 miles from the clear blue sky. I mean, yeah. out of thin air. Like they had no – they just made it so. So I think that's an interesting thing. Like there, you can't do that in football at all. I think you can do it in basketball to a certain extent. I think Gonzaga's done it to a certain extent, um, yeah. where you basically just create a program out of the out of the clear blue sky. But um, <laughs> sustained power? No, I don't think Texas Tech will ever be a sustained power. But I think they can be a very quality program. So I just I want to add a couple caveats to that. I, I will say that I think it's you can do it absolutely with the non-revenue sports, especially where you see an opening, right? Where there's like, okay, we can put a ton of money in this. Yeah. People in our area, our part of the country aren't paying attention. We can kind of sneak in and do this and, and get a lot of support real quick. Um, I think that's definitely feasible. I think with things like basketball and football, it becomes a lot more difficult. Um, and I also think that you have to be willing to cheat a little bit in the case of some, some of the smaller mid majors, I think they've done a good job at making sure they get their guys and their recruits. Yeah. I think they've very smart about that um because i think you're kidding yourself if you think gonzaga is just as squeaky clean as as the, as the cleanest program in the nation in terms of getting recruits um no there are no clean say, programs say again 
I don't think there are any clean programs. Well, I would agree with that, but I, I just think that I, I, I think there's this, okay. It's, it's, you know, Gonzaga is this artisanal, you know, bread of, you know, they're the artisanal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're program. doing the same thing. Everybody else is doing just like That's coach K exactly. just like everybody. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's possible. I think uh, when you've got a school that doesn't have a huge, investment in a sport i mean i'm not saying texas tech doesn't like football i mean clearly they do no they do yeah there's a history they're like in football their their adherence was kind of based off of a coach right it wasn't necessarily based off of football itself and i think if they were successful in basketball for several seasons in a row they get to the sweet 16 lead eight the final four and all this other stuff championship game win the championship etc you know all this stuff that builds up over time and then you have that over three or four years and yeah you can become a basketball school so i think it depends where you're at i think it depends what the the sport is but you got enough money and enough effort it's it's definitely within the grasp of you know larger schools i think yep so i'm with you yeah all right so that's ask us anything keep sending those in those are great questions and uh, we'll keep answering them all right, be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Dry Goods got 11warriors.com. And don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on the iTunes. All right, it is time in the show where we break down the previous episode of Game of Thrones. In this case, it is episode five of season eight. It is the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show and if you're listening still at this point, my guess is you have and you are all caught up because there, this will be spoilers aplenty. Um, you know the pen- penultimate episode of this series has been the biggest episodes. Uh, this is Ned's beheading. This is the Red Wedding. This is the uh, Battle of Blackwater Bay. This is, uh, wasn't it also? Um, Battle of Bastards. Uh, yeah. Battle of the Bastards. Yeah, yeah. So every big thing has happened in this episode and this one. Uh, was also that it was um, it was a st- I'm going to be positive first. It was a stunning <laughs> cinematic achievement. It was an action movie, is what it was. I mean, it was. I it thought was it was the a- best directed episode of the season. Honestly, yeah. it was a 120 uh, minute action movie. Yeah, I thought it was really good in terms of how it was presented and shot. I and people talk about all the problems that people had with uh, you know the long night battle and all that. That that I think was rectified at least in terms of cinematography and direction with, with this episode. Yeah. And I thought both of the episodes, both that one and this one, um, the battles, well, the, the battle in the long night was so bleak. Like yeah. the oh, long man. night was actually, if you, if you judge them as like independently as movies, the long night is an incredibly satisfying movie because you have the incredible tension of people you care about thinking you're going to die and the relentlessness relentlessness of the army of the dead. And you have this incredible moment with Arya where you literally stand up and cheer. So yeah, you're that moment. And frankly, we'll get into some of the chronological mistakes. I think they've made that moment to me should have been the final scene in the, in the series to me, that should have been it. That like the rest of this nonsense is, but that's, we'll get to that. Um, (laughs) So this one, this one had all of that, except I found it to be, um, while stunningly beautiful to watch, I found about 20 minutes of it. And it was, you know, most of the last, not the last 10 minutes, but the 20 minutes previous to that, I found just kind of, kind of not, not believable. And this is where we'll have most of our conversation is, is on this hill that we're going to die on. And that <laughs> is, I do not, be, I don't believe based on what I've seen of the character in the show. And I asked you this directly last week because you're a book reader and I'm not. Yeah. Um, I asked you this directly last week because I was fearful they would do this. And they, my worst fears were realized. 
Um, I do not believe that there is the character development in Danny to justify her randomly murdering thousands, hundreds of thousands of innocent people. I yeah. don't think there's anything in her character that leads you to believe that. I don't need a happy ending in this. I don't. Um, I, it can be bleak. It can be dark. It can be people I care about dying. I didn't need her to win. I didn't care if she did or not. I don't, I just want the best story. And, and to me, if, if they want to show her be the mad queen, then kill John because he's the threat. He's the one <laughs> right. who betrayed you. Um, right. have your rage go against him and Tyrion and kill them. That to me would be a better use of, of mad queendom than randomly killing women and children. And I think they did it because narratively they couldn't get there. So because they couldn't get there with the narrative, they had to make her seem bad. And it just seemed heavy handed. It wasn't yeah. subtle. It wasn't cool. It was like, hit you over the head with a stone. Now she's going to be bad. And that's bad storytelling in my view, sir. What really, what I think is weird is if you go back and watch the seasons with her and Marine, right? Like one of the big turning points for her in terms of, you know, how does she want to rule and all that was this farmer bringing his, her, you know, his char right. his charred remains of his kid that one of the dragons burned up. And she was like devastated by this. Yep. And there's been nothing to establish the Danny that was like horrified by that evolving into the Danny that is just indiscriminately killing tens of thousands of men, women, and children. Like you have to be able to establish that over a period of time. And like, again, the books can get to that. There is nothing really like contextually to show she's like losing her mind, but that has been theorized by book readers for a long time because there are hints to it. And George R. R. Martin loves dropping hints and, and people read the tea leaves. And that was where a lot of people believed her character was going, which is fine. Like I don't have a problem. There was actually somebody who tweeted at us uh, earlier today on the, on the Dubcast account about this. It's not a bad narrative, like idea or conceit. You just not have to all. get to it. You have to get to it, and they haven't gotten to it. They have not established anything, and that's really why. Like, let me put it this way: if you want to divide, you know, these six episodes or you know, however many I can't remember, six episodes, I guess, into two full-length seasons, you make one season ten episodes about the long night and about fighting the the White Walkers, and the next season about dealing with the aftermath and dealing with Cersei, or however you want to put it, you can flip them like you were kind of suggesting. I don't care. Point is, you can spend that season building up to that. Right. And having hints to that and like maybe killing Varys for like making you irritated for so for you know, one yeah. reason or the other. Sure. Right. Like you can you can establish you can you can show her doing things that establish that. And they didn't do that until the very beginning of the episode where she roasts Varys alive, which he had coming, but only sure. in the last episode. Like it's it, it's just too much too fast and you can't. It just doesn't make sense narratively. Obviously, people are really pewed. I did think it was kind of funny on Twitter that somebody, it was a joke that kept getting repeated, but you know, all these people who've named their kids like Danny or Khaleesi yeah. in, the past, <laughs> in the past 10 years or so uh, are now kind of getting their comeuppance a little bit. Um, it's just, like I said, narratively, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's actually not my biggest problem with the episode in terms of characterization. It's It's number two. But hold uh, on before you yeah. get to your second, a couple more things yeah. on this. Um, no, real it. quickly, the other thing that they you, you speak about narrative that, in my view, they really screwed up is that she has every reason to be driven mad. She has been betrayed by oh, yeah. everyone, her closest advisors, the people she cared about, are all dead. She has been betrayed by Tyrion, by Varys, by John, by everybody, has betrayed her. 
Sansa, all of them. They've all betrayed her. She has every reason to be mad. So show us that. Show yeah. us that. Don't just randomly have her flip a switch. This is a tragedy, what has happened to her. This is a girl who had ideals that she said right. to hell with. And I'm just going to, but let us see her saying to hell with it. Right. Don't just hit us over the head with it before the episode. And the only reason that I would suggest based on what we've seen on this show that her, for her to be the mad queen is because she followed the advice of the galactically absurdly stupid in, yeah. in Tyrion and Varys and John, whose battle plans are BS. Yeah. If she had done what she wanted to do, she flew, she sailed across the narrow sea with Unsullied, with Dothraki, with three dragons. If she had just gone, by the way, if the dragon, if it was this easy for the dragons, it's that easy. <laughs> I mean, if, if Drogon can destroy all of that in like five minutes, what would, what minutes. would have been done without Euron's three. fleet and then three dragons at once, right? right? No Goldstone Company, which right. apparently they're nothing. I don't know if they're a big deal or not, but like the fact that those guys died in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I can introduce them. I mean, in the books, there's like my wife actually asked me this last night, but in the books, there's like 10 or 12 different mercenary companies. They're considered to be pretty good. They're good. They're not great. They're not the unsullied. The unsullied are definitely the cream of the crop. Uh, but they're fine. They're good. Um, I the thing is, is that like I just feel like so much is done for the sake of expediency and also budgetary region reasons. I almost feel like honest, honest to God. I mean, you know, with with one of the dragons, obviously got to kill for the Night King, I guess, if that's how you're going to, you know, have him break down the wall or whatever. But I really think that they just got rid of one of them via Euron and his fleet. Uh, so they didn't have to pay to animate it. Like, I really think that was a huge part of it. And Could so they're like, oh, well, it's also convenient because that shows like Danny getting really upset. Like, I'm like, no, that's not really that doesn't really establish anything. Um, no. And we so don't even right. see her more in the loss. Stupid advice. Um, yeah yeah it's just it, it's frustrating what has happened with their character it really is yeah it's almost like they just punted they knew they had to make yeah. her the mad queen so they hit us over the head with well now she's going to be bad and even in the seat in the scenes before where they you know kind of put together all of the times where people say and let let's wake up the dragon and all that like they took all of this out of context sound bites and put it to uh Masande being beheaded to like yeah. hit us over the head with like well now she's going to go bad get ready no, that's not Thrones. All of yeah. the other ones, all of the other things, when something like this happened, it was earned. There was an earn. It, it felt like you earned it. Like whether it was Elena Tyrell, Tyrell at the Purple Wedding or uh, <laughs> Bolton and Walder Frey at the at the Red Wedding or yeah. Joffrey Baratheon. It was earned. Slicing off Ned's head. Like it was earned. There was nothing earned to this. So it, to me, it's a just a, a real fail. And I still really enjoyed the episode. It was stunning. But th this was a real fail. Now, your let's get to your second issue, which is actually, in your view, the bigger issue. Yeah, which is Jamie and and what they did with his story. And, and first of all, in in the books and in the in the show, they had like one scene that established this. There's a prophecy that essentially says that Jamie will be killed by this Valonqar, which is a, I think it's a a word from uh, either Marine. I can't remember what what the language origin supposed to be in the books or the show but uh it's essentially a word that means little brother and the idea is that your little brother will will wring the life from you and that's how you'll die and, and i'll have his hands around your neck or whatever and uh or choke i guess as your as the life is being choked out of you his hands will be around your neck or something along those lines 
And the assumption from Cersei in the books and in the show, I guess a little bit, but again, I don't think they really established this, was that Tyrion is going to be the one to do this because he's the little brother, he's the younger one. Um, And they also mention in the books, which is kind of the dead giveaway here, that uh, Cersei was born first and then Jaime came out second. So the idea was, of course, that to fulfill this, you know, the ironic fulfilling of this prophecy is that Jaime's going to be the one to kill Cersei. And I don't, for the life of me, understand why he didn't. There's nothing, he, his anger at Cersei in the books, and again, to the the point they've gotten in the books, he's still at River Run trying to deal with the Tullys, right? He gets a message from Cersei where Cersei is just completely screwing things up with the High Sparrow and all that, and the, and the Faith Militant and all that stuff. She gets, uh, she sends him a letter saying, I need help, I'm really screwed here. He tosses the letter in the fire, right? So I don't know where wow. you can get, yeah, he, yeah, seriously, he burns wow. it. And so I don't know how in the show you can justify not only what we've seen in the books at this point, but what we've seen in the show where he completely turns his back on her and then just says, all right, like I understand going back to, to uh, you know, the Red Keep and to King's Landing to kind of close the loop and, and end his, you know, his involvement in this whole saga. But you don't do that by like, you know, trying to get her out and trying to hug her and say, Making oh, it a love story. Okay. Yeah, it makes no sense at this point. And and it just it infuriates me because his whole character arc is about understanding that he doesn't have to be tied to his his obligations to his family that his father guilts him into doing that he doesn't want to do because he doesn't want to be part of uh the uh, the um you know the the knights that defend uh King's Landing. He doesn't want to have these leadership positions. He kind of just wants to go off and do his own thing and have sex with his sister. And then when Cersei gets into power, he doesn't want to be guilted by her into doing things that are clearly wrong and evil. And so he abandons her. And the whole point is that you know Brienne kind of redeems him. I don't care if they Brienne and him don't you know go off and have this perfect life together. But him closing the loop on his story is not going back to Cersei and going back on reams of character development right Right. that suggests that he just wants to kill her and i just i it i don't understand that ending for either of them i think that final fight with iran was perfunctory and completely stupid um had nothing to do with anything no it was just and you didn't need he didn't need a significant death we didn't even know him on the show no we hardly knew him on the show he did not need to have screen time die he could just die in the dragon fire he didn't I'll be honest. That. I'm actually excited to read. Like, if they ever come out, I'm excited to read the next books. In part because you're on Greyjoy in the books. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man. I, I will even like send you like snippets from the books so you can like get a reflection and an understanding of what this guy is like. He is the scariest part of the of the Dance of Dragons, the most recent book. He is terrifying the way he's described. And in the show, he's a guy who like you know makes dick jokes, and it's just like yeah, it, it is like it's so stupid. Um. Yeah, so him being in, I don't know, the whole thing is just really, really, really dumb. I, I think they did it. I don't know why they did it. I can't give a reason. I don't know. I think it's just stupid. I think it's dumb as hell. He should have killed her. He should have just ended that loop. Uh, and, and She deserved that arc. death. Yeah. She didn't you know deserve you? happiness and death. She's no. despicable. Yeah, she has a couple tears go down her cheeks. She, you know, she she goes into the crypt or the, the basement area and it's dumb as hell. Um, yeah, I did like, I will say, some people are hating on this a little bit. I like Clegane Bowl. I like yeah, Sam. I thought Ford it was nice. I thought that was fun. I thought that was a yep. really good part of the episode. I liked that little moment that he had with Arya. I thought that, that was, was great. Earned. 
That was yep. earned. See, that was the thing. That's what separates that That's moment what separates it. versus all the other moments because we had an entire season of Arya and, and uh, the Hound yep. hanging out and getting to know each other and yep. bouncing their characters off each other and developing a past. And so that's why that moment, it was a yes. five-second moment, had significance. Whereas right. all this other stuff that's just thrown at the wall at the last second has no significance. Yeah. So I thought just, the Jamie... The Jamie Tyrion stuff was fine too. I mean, I yeah, thought that was because, earned because that was reflective of what had happened right yep. before Tyrion kills yep. Tywin. Right? It's 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 something that's actually contextual and makes sense. I like yep. that. So yep. it, you know, it, there right. are things that make sense, but there are things that have been the things that make sense are the things that have been established. And if yeah. you want to create compelling characters, you have to kind of be a little bit consistent. They can change. They have to change. But right. but make it part of the story. Make it make it part know, of the story. Right. Yeah, the money should have been on dialogue, not all these. I don't need an hour long war. I don't I'll need battles it. that are an hour long. That's not what made me love the show. Um, right. So now we're we're to one left. Um, this I, is okay. So I told you before we recorded. I, I know yeah. I'm interrupting, and I apologize. No, please. I told you that I would spring something on you. All right, go. The last season or last episode just pissed me off. Okay, yeah, I know. I look. I know I know places on the internet, Bo, <laughs> where you can find spoilers. <laughs> and I said I was going to do this to myself, but the last episode was just like the it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And okay. I have I have looked up as many spoilers as I possibly really? can. Well, don't share yes. them with me. I don't want to hear. No, 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 no. I'm not going to put it out there. I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to hurt anybody's enjoyment in terms of like, you know, being surprised by things. But I will tell you, OK, that there is almost universal agreement on what's going to happen in that final episode um, with a couple of key exceptions. And really what I am excited to see in that final episode is not how the story of the main characters ends, because I'm pretty sure everybody can kind of guess at this point, what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but what I am excited about are really just a couple characters that I'm still hanging on that their story arcs will finally make sense in the end. I have no spoilers on what's going to happen to Davos. I don't know what's going to happen to that dude. I want him to be happy yeah, <laughs> because he's actually my, he's, he's like my top three, one in my top three favorite characters in the books. Um, his, his point of view chapters are some of the best and most entertaining and most fun. And as a character, he's really great and really cool. Uh, especially in the books. Um, and I just want that dude to be happy. So that's knowing being pretty certain what's going to happen and, and seeing these spoilers and, and going, okay, whatever uh, for the rest of the show, I will say that I'm still holding out hope for some logical, sensical, fun, good endings for the characters that I still really care about that aren't necessarily part of the main cast. And that's stuff I don't have information on. That's what I'm hoping will, yeah. will work out. Yeah, I you know, I don't know. I think the um I think when you set out I think when you set out to you know, do something like this and you you, you know, the name of the thing is a song of fire and ice, it's pretty self-explanatory how this is going to end. Yeah. Um but uh you know, I think I th I'm very curious to see how how that how he how they how they attempt to tie this story up and and make it satisfying and um, if they feel the need to further bad her, if they feel the need to make her worse, like, you know, I, I hope they don't cheapen it anymore because I feel like they did this last episode. Well, what um, bothered me, so here's the thing you can even narratively, 
I mentioned this actually last week, and I did I did not know exactly how this is going to go. I didn't know anything about this this penultimate episode, but I mentioned that there were stashes of wildfire all around King's Landing, and they yeah. showed right. They showed that going. Yeah, that was on, cool. Which I that's a good callback. That's something that was mentioned briefly, I think, in the second season, and then pretty much not brought up again. And it's something that is definitely emphasized a lot in the books that there it's just all over the place. Uh, you can have Danny screw up and accidentally set that off because wildfire is like that stuff is supposed to burn for weeks or months. So you could have you could have had her just screw up instead of indiscriminately, you know, killing tens of thousands of people because yeah. she's pissed about Sandy or whatever. Or actually, what the episode suggested is that she was really pissed about her victory being too easy, which is even dumber. Um, but you know, I, there are ways to make there that has make to be. If you're going to choose to do this, there has to be an image of her face while doing it or after it is over. Yeah. You cannot, we saw her make the face after the bells and then light it up, but there's no, like, was she enjoying it? Like, is she cackling? Is she wicked witch (laughs) of the West? I mean, is she doing that at the end? Does she have, is she sorrowful for what she's done? Is she truly mad? And this is gratifying like to not have that. I'm sorry, you can't have Ari on a stupid white horse as the last scene. That was so dumb. That was stupid. I mean, that I mean, just I, like, not justify. Yeah, you know, you needed to see Danny's reaction after that. That's right. important. Just as it's important to see Sansa and uh, Arya's reaction to John telling him who he was. That mm-hmm. was important. We needed to see that. It's not hard to shoot her face. She can act. She's a great actress. Yeah, shoot her and face. What I think is interesting. Shoot her intent. Last- yeah. And, and one thing that I'll say is that a lot of people, both book readers, especially book readers, actually, uh, because they really, really blame her for for uh, Ned getting killed, which in a roundabout way, whatever. But it was really, you know, it's not necessarily her fault. Um, but they, a lot of people hate Sansa's character. Right. Especially book readers. And she's come out of this looking like the smartest person in Westeros, frankly. <laughs> like, well, don't you think she went, she ends up on the throne because John doesn't want it? So I'm sure he he advocates for it and gives it to her. I don't think she wants to ever set foot in King's Landing again. I think she wants to stay in the could. Maybe it's just, maybe it'll just go, there's true seven kingdoms and not, you know, one government, who the hell knows. But it's, it also is, it's a very, to me, it's, if this is the, the vision and because we don't have all the other setup to this, it's a very bleak vision. And I didn't need a happy ending, but the fact that like, all of the good can be undone that quickly. It's it's hard to it's hard for me to wrap my head around. It really is. Yeah. The idea that we were supposed to like feel sorry for Cersei. <laughs> like we were put in a position to feel sorry for Cersei. I'm sorry, not after seven seasons, 70 yeah. hours. No, no one's no. gonna feel sorry for Cersei. No. And that's and that's why the whole thing with Jamie and her is just so stupid. Because why would Jamie feel sorry? If we can't, if we who are these, you know, this this omnipotent third person viewer can't muster any kind of sorrow for Cersei. How can Jamie, who only knows about the terrible, horrific things that she's done, yeah. somehow do this 180 where he's just completely like, well, no. I got to save her or do something. I don't know. I'm going there to, you know, whatever. I'll hug her, I guess. And, get her. Yeah. <laughs> and Tyrion All caring right. about like, Tyrion, trying oh. to like get him out of Westeros. Like, why the hell does he care? Johnny, like, why do they have to make Tyrion the biggest dumbass ever? Yeah, that doesn't track at all. Like he hasn't he's been the dumbest person on the show. He's been the dumbest character on the show for a season and a half. I His totally get him terrible. I, I totally get him wanting to save the people in King's Landing and not have them burnt to a crisp. I don't Fine. understand. I don't understand. 
I I don't understand why he would want to protect Cersei in any way, shape, or form. Right? No. At, what I would do is free Jamie. Say, Jamie, go get Cersei. Right? Close this loop. End this. And while you're there, get him to to ring those damn bells, and then also not mention it five more times in the next ten yeah. minutes. So that don't the make audience it so <laughs> apparently obvious. Yeah. Right. Jesus. But yeah, seriously, send him on a <sighs> send him on an assassination mission. Get it done, and yeah. then if they both die, fine or whatever. But you can have like a scene where you know, I don't know, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to to direct the episode that's already been broadcast. But I just it's frustrating because like a lot of fans, you know, including us, you're just seeing characters that are just being written wildly out of character, and it's just it's not <clears throat> it's not tracking. No, you built characters over 70 hours on a television show, and the end game doesn't justify it. Yeah, it's you know, so that's that's the tricky part. So we'll see if they stick the landing next week and we'll talk about it next <laughs> week right here on the dubcast. If it's possible to stick the landing, it's They're not very gonna. difficult. I, I that's don't think not a spoiler. There, I just don't have any faith in yeah. that whatsoever. Yeah, it so. doesn't. It seems like it's going to be clunky. Um, yeah. All right. So we will do that next week. Until then, I will talk to you then, my friend. Yep. Talk to you next week.